When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 59 of the podcast and if you're watching us on Flow TV, you'll see that I'm rocking a sweet District 5 Mighty Ducks jersey. Uh, love the jersey. If you have followed me for a period of time on Twitter, you know how I got this jersey and I won't rehash that story, but uh, look it up if you so choose because uh, it is a prized possession and since it is uh, Halloween, I decided I'm going to dress the part. I even put on a Minnesota Twins hat, uh, though I am a, an avowed Chicago White Sox fan. Uh, as you can see, right, uh, you know, I've got the Chicago Stadium back here. I've got some uh, White Sox memorabilia around. So, but uh, so I, I assure you, my friends on the south side of Chicago, that I am not, I have not converted to the Minnesota Twins yet. Um, and probably never uh, because that would be weird. All right. So anyway, let's get to the show. We're going to talk a lot about the NHL draft today. Obviously, it's something we do on a weekly basis. But this this episode is going to focus a lot more on the draft because on Thursday, November 3rd, my draft rankings will be coming out uh, on Flow Hockey. It's my first draft rankings on Flow Hockey. Um, you can get it at flowhockey.tv. It is not behind a paywall. It is right out there for anybody to read. Um, we will have a top 32 for the 2023 draft. Um, and we will talk a lot about that today. We're going to get into a couple different segments about the draft. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that I've heard and, and also some of the things that I've seen over the course of this young season uh, to build these draft rankings and kind of give you a little bit of insight into my process as well. Um, but, you know, we're also going to talk about the things we always do. There's a lot of college hockey. There's some big events coming up, the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge, which I'm going to talk about very briefly here um, in just a few minutes to, to get a preview of the, the long-distance uh, draft class, you know, the 2024 and the 2025 class, which we're really excited about because there's a lot of really good young players throughout North America that have already shown that they've got a lot of skill and, and it's going to be bring a lot of excitement. But there's a lot more excitement about this 2023 class. Before we get into that, always, I want to remind you to continue to subscribe to this podcast on your podcast apps of choice. You can continue to watch us on flowhockey.tv. Just look for Talking Hockey Sense. We have uh, new episodes every week, and you will be able to watch them in full there. And also, it really helps us out if you are listening to us on your podcast app of choice to leave a nice rating, leave a review. Got a couple of five-star reviews last week that I wanted to share with you. We'll read some of these on the podcast from time to time. But we really appreciate getting them. It also helps get the word out about the podcast. So please continue to do that. Uh, got a couple of Apple podcast reviews. This one from XKC17X. Fantastic podcast. Been following Chris's work for 10 years now, and he never disappoints. Gives great insight and details on upcoming and current players from every league. He's very engaging and thoughtful with the audience. I always learn something new. Thank you very much for that review. I'm always trying to make sure that if you come away from an episode and you've learned something that you didn't hear before, or you have a little bit better insight on a prospect or a situation in hockey, then I'm doing my job, and it's what hopefully will keep you guys coming back. Also got another one from Josh H1280. Incredible resource on prospects, USHL, college puck, and more. I've followed Chris for a long time now, and there are very few, if any, resources 
to stay up to date on NHL prospects and draft talk, USHL talk, and college hockey insight and opinions. We tend to get pretty insular in Minnesota, the Minnesota hockey world. So we being able to tune into the podcast to hear about prospects, players, and teams elsewhere in amateur hockey has been an absolute joy. Josh, thank you for the kind review. And as I'm rocking my Minnesota Twins hat, I I, I feel you. Yes, we are very insular in Minnesota because I'm Minnesotan, right? Uh, and he also said, keep up the great work, Chris. And I will continue to do that as best I can. Thank you so much to Josh and XKC for bringing those uh, very kind reviews to Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to review us and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get into the meat of this thing. Let's talk about some hockey. And I'm going to start here because it's coming up this week. Starting on November 2nd, the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge will be uh, begin in Langley, B.C. and Delta, B.C. Um, this event has not been around for the last two years. Canceled by COVID in 2020 and 21. Um, this will finally get everybody back on track. And this is what we've been talking about a lot this year. This year, we're starting to get back to normal. We're starting to have these events. And the Under-17 Hockey Challenge is kind of the de facto U-17 World Championship. There, there is no such thing. Uh, the IIHF is, this is not a IIHF event. In fact, it's a Hockey Canada-sponsored event. And it's been a great resource for people like myself that get a, a real good preview of not this upcoming season, this draft season, the 2023 draft season, but 2024 and 2025. And there are a lot of really good young players throughout the world. Um, this event will feature three teams from Canada. Back in the day, it used to be regional teams where it'd be Ontario, Quebec, Canada West, um, you know, uh, Alberta. You know, we had all these different um, teams that would play. I actually saw Nathan McKinnon representing Team Atlantic as an underager in this tournament way back in 2010. And uh, you could see back then what he was going to become. But a great way to get a look at players for the future. Um, the last time that we were able to see this event, I believe, was uh, 2019. So, you know, there, there have been a lot of players that have come up through the ranks and, and gone through this tournament and gone on to great careers um, as well. And I've, you know, having worked at the National Team Development Program, seen a, seen a couple of these live, definitely seen uh, some great players over the years come through. Um, but three Canadian teams, as I mentioned, they'll be Canada White, Canada Red, Canada Black. They will, they're, they're not um, regionalized. They're just mixed up in different ways. They try to put some of the best players around, make the teams a little bit more competitive. Um, it also gives Canada three cracks at winning the tournament. So that's always helpful. Uh, but the, they'll also have the U.S. National Under-17 team from the National Team Development Program. They will play in this tournament. Uh, the U.S. has done very well over the years in the tournament. Uh, uh, it is a very difficult tournament to win, though. Uh, because of the length, typically, and the, how compact it is. It'll go through uh, basically a World Junior-style schedule for the most part. Um, but then you'll also have uh, the Czechia, Sweden, and Finland. And normally, you would have Russia in this event as well. No Russia this year. Um, obviously, they are not competing in any international competitions throughout. So, you know, we won't get the look at the at the young Russian players that we normally do here. It's been a great training. I, I think, you know, Ilya Kovalchuk really broke out at this tournament way back when. Um, and that's kind of where his star started to really get noticed um, throughout the world and in, in the hockey world and know that he was going to be a special player. But no Russia this year. That's not a big uh, problem because there's plenty of really good talent. And we're going to start off with Macklin Celebrini. We've talked about him on this podcast before. We actually have a feature coming up on Max Celebrini on Flow Hockey this week where you're going to get a real good glimpse of why this player is special, what makes him tick, um, you know, what he thinks about his own game and what the people around him think about him, a very special young player. 
But as of right now, after a four-point game on Saturday, and this is a 16-year-old play in the USHL, very difficult league to produce, and he is now third in the league in points with 14. Uh, he's behind two teammates of the Chicago Steel, uh, Nick Molnar and Jaden Perron, who are both older than he is. Um, and, and Celebrini has really come on strong. He's having really a tremendous season. Uh, got hurt at the World or at the USHL Fall Classic. Um, missed a week. You know, thought it could be a longer term injury. Not not long term, but you know, out more than a week. Comes back and he's better than ever. Um, you're going to get a chance to learn a lot more about Max Celebrini this week. Was really excited to speak with him at the Fall Classic. Get to know him a little bit better. Um, talking to the people around him, he is, he is beloved by teammates by, you know, he's got a lot of friends and, and his family is a, a great story as well. Uh, his father involved at a very high level with the golden state warriors, which put Mac kind of around these, uh, elite, elite level athletes. You're going to learn more about him. Really can't wait to show that to you, but he'll be playing, uh, for team Canada black in this under 17 world championship. Another Canadian to keep an eye on. He'll be one of the youngest players in this tournament. He's one of the youngest players in junior hockey right now. His name is Michael Misa. He is the exceptional status player, plays for the Saginaw Spirit, currently tied for the OHL lead in goals at 15 years old. So he's got 10 goals already to start his season, 13 points, 1.31 points per game, outstanding start to his OHL career. Misa will be playing for Team Canada Red. So keep an eye on him because he is a really special young player that is, you know, obviously when, when you get exceptional status, it raises everything. The expectation levels are super high. Um, and not every single one of those exceptional status players live up to the hype. Not all of them go first overall in the NHL draft, as we saw last year with Shane Wright. There's a lot of different things that kind of happen uh, over the course of a, a player's development. So it's up to Misa now to build on this, and he's obviously having a great run at Saginaw so far. The U.S. team is obviously going to be one of the teams to watch at this tournament. It always is, but especially so this year because it looks like the 2006 birth year is absolutely loaded for the Americans. And it starts right at the top. We've talked about these guys a couple times on the podcast already. James Hagens and Cole Iserman. What they're doing right now as U-17 players in the USHL is largely unprecedented. I mean, you know, Jack Hughes basically was a two-point-per-game player at 16 years old in the USHL, playing for the National Team Development Program, was very quickly elevated to the U-18 team from the U-17 team, but not before having a very strong run at the under-17 hockey challenge. I think he's one of the all-time leading scorers for a single tournament in that event. So is Cole Caulfield. Well, James Higgins and Cole Iserman right now are leading the USHL in points per game. They've only played five USHL games each, but they have now, Higgins uh, has 2.4 points per game, including seven goals in just five games. Iserman has five goals in five games. And he's averaging 2.2 points per game. Iserman, of course, teammates with Celebrini last year at Shattuck St. Mary's and Hagens was playing at uh, Mount St. Charles last year in Rhode Island. And, you know, we've talked a lot about him. Hagens isn't even draft eligible until 2025. It looks like he and Misa are going to be competing, you know, to be top level draft picks in that first draft um, in 2025. So those are two guys to keep a close eye on, but Iserman is a really gifted goal scorer. He's already gotten some time with the under 18s. Um, you know, he's got some strength to him. He's got some real good skill. Um, so those are the two guys to watch. But I mean, that they have a whole team that uh, that is worth watching. Uh, got a chance to see them play Cedar Rapids earlier in the year. And you just see the special talent that some of these guys have. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic uh, event at the Under-17 World Hockey Challenge. Again, that'll be November 2nd through the 12th. 
Um, and uh, that is a Hockey Canada event. I don't have streaming information uh, for you right now, but um, we'll see where that uh, where that ends up. But obviously, a, a very good event and something that we look forward to on the on the international scouting uh, scale as well. I won't be going to that event. I was planning to, but I'm actually going to be going to the Under 18 Five Nations tournament um, in about a week's time, and we will preview that event next week on the podcast. All right, so that's the long-term view. Let's get back to the short-term and talk about the 2023 draft. And we're going to start here with something that I think is starting to bubble a little bit because of how special this is. And you've got Connor Bedard continuing to absolutely torch the WHL. Connor Bedard has been uh, incredible. He has been uh, everything we thought he could be, uh, maybe even more. He has continued to produce at an insane level. He had four points over the weekend. He's currently on pace for 132 points over a 68-game season. He probably won't play in all 68 games because there's more than likely he'll be missing time for the, uh, the, the World Juniors and things of that nature. But through 15 games so far this season, Connor Bedard has 13 goals and 16 assists, right on track with everything we thought he could do. Not quite two points per game. Uh, but he's getting there uh, with with 29 points in 15 games so far. So very close to that mark. And, you know, he's doing everything that we expected him to. However, we talked about last week the specialness of Adam Fantilli. And we have a couple of questions coming up. So I don't want to get too much into Fantilli because there are questions from listeners that that I think I'll be able to speak more directly to. Um, but he has 18 points through his first eight collegiate games. Um, and it's pretty crazy to see what he's done so far. Um, and, you know, we've kind of been doing a side-by-side comparison of how he's doing against Jack Eichel. Um, he's ahead of Eichel's scoring pace, and Eichel had one of the best draft seasons by a, um, uh, a you know, a draft-eligible forward, uh, draft-eligible freshman in college hockey. So pretty incredible to see what Fantilli is doing. He's also the bigger, stronger, faster player, which, you know, is going to speak to some general managers. Is it, does it mean he's going to go number one? I don't think we can say that with any amount of confidence just yet. But it is interesting nonetheless. And so we'll have to see exactly where that goes. But, you know, you've got those players. And then you've also got Matvey Michkov in Russia, who, you know, I think is a genius level hockey player. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to be spoiling anything by telling you that Michkov and Bedard and Fantilli are the top three in my NHL draft rankings. You'll have to read to see which order they go in. But I think that the in, the interesting part about Mitchkov is, is, yes, he still has that contract. Yes, there is concern about what his overall impact could be if he can even get out of Russia. I think a lot of people continue to be concerned about what happened to Ivan Fedotov, who was a Flyers signee, uh, ended up getting thrown in, in a military prison for a little bit, and then had to, uh, he was c- uh, accused of dodging his military obligations, and then he was pulled back in and is now, you know, fulfilling those obligations apparently by force in a really, you know, sad kind of situation. And so that changes the dynamic of the decision-making process. I don't know if we'll see Mitchkov go in the top three. I think a team is going to have to have a lot of confidence, a lot of assurances to make that pick that high. But there's no question on skill alone and on hockey intelligence that he's among the best players there is. Um, Can Mitchkov or Fantilli really honestly push Bedard. I think 
last year taught us nothing is inevitable. Nothing is set in stone. You have to judge the entire thing. Bedard's entire body of work suggests that he's an elite scoring talent, that he has the skill that is so rare that you would pay the premium of a first-round pick, even if you had concerns about some of the other things, like maybe a size or you know play off the puck or different things. But, but I think Bedard has shown this year he is continuing to mold his game and become a better athlete and stronger and more physical and doing everything he can to maximize his ability within his, you know, five foot nine, five foot 10 frame uh, to be able to be an elite player at the NHL level. And guys like Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin and others like that have shown that there's really no issue um, with that. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see, but I, I, I just think that you have to remember that last year was a good lesson Nothing is inevitable. However, I think we're comparing apples and oranges when we talk about Connor Bedard versus Shane Wright. Connor Bedard, you know, Shane Wright was a guy that did just about everything well, but nothing truly elite. Connor Bedard does most things well and scores at an elite level. One of the best goal scorers I've ever seen. I have a hard time thinking that, you know, he's going to be unseated. So maybe that does give you a little bit of a glimpse of where I'm going at number one. For my uh, for my draft rankings that come out this week, but I don't think it would surprise anybody to see that because you know there are other people, and I have talked to. I wrote about this when I wrote about Fantilli last week. There are teams that say, "Hey, you know, we we have questions, and size still matters in the NHL." And we're talk about that in a second too. But really, what what do you do with that? You know, what what do you? How how much should size matter when you've got a player that scores at such an elite level? We're going to find out. We're going to find out over the course of this season. But the one thing that we do know is that Fantilli is pushing, Mitchkov is pushing, Mitchkov scoring about a goal per game, um, and that there's a really talented group behind them. Which leads me to my next point about tanking. So there are some teams in the NHL that clearly did not necessarily position themselves for the highest level of success this year. And the thing is, is that players don't tank. You can't control what the players do. You look at the Chicago Blackhawks right now. That was a team that everybody thought was going to be down, down, down. And then Alex Stalock has had played very well for them in net. Um, you know, Jonathan Taves has had a resurgent season. Patrick Kane was never going to be on board with a tank anyway. Um, you know, those those types of things happen. But, you know, you look at the Coyotes. They're going to continue to struggle. Um, they did open their new building. Uh, by the way, the Arizona State, fantastic work. One of the premier buildings in college hockey out of nowhere. Um, well done by the Sun Devils there. Um, then you've also got different situations, uh, uh, throughout the league where, you know, San Jose, are they going to be able to compete? Um, are, you know, is Vancouver, did they fall off enough? And the interesting fact is Connor Bedard has made no secret how big of a Canucks fan that he is. Um, he's from British Columbia. I mean, you know, he's from the Vancouver area. You gotta, you know, if you, if you're the, the Canucks, you gotta at least be thinking about it a little bit because as currently constructed, that's not a team that's really going places. They 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 are destined for the mushy middle at best at this point, and that is one of the worst places you can be. Good enough to not get a good draft pick, bad enough to not really do anything in the postseason, not give your fans anything to get excited about. So don't actively tank, but maybe don't try so hard, because if you do get Connor Bedard, how much does that change the dynamic of your entire franchise? Um, how much does that change? You know, the, the Canucks don't have much of a prospect pool right now. They've they've graduated several guys. You know, you got guys like uh, Nils Hoglander and, and Quinn Hughes and Vasily Podkolzin, you know, guys that, that matriculated the NHL pretty quickly. Um, but 
there's not a lot beneath that, you know, and they started making trades. They brought in Jackson Studnika uh, from the Boston Bruins last week. So that's a team that they're trying to get younger, but they are still kind of running in place a little bit. And so that's something that they're going to have to continue to monitor because um, I'll tell you what, if Connor Bedard ended up getting a chance to play at home in Vancouver, I mean, what a way to just ignite a fan base. Um, so, yeah, but keep an eye out on the teams that are not doing so hot because not only is Connor Bedard the prize, but I think because Fantilli has looked so good and because Mitchkov is good and because Leo Carlson uh, looks like a really good player out in Sweden, you know, like, you know, what's the worst case scenario? We end up with one of those players. If we finish last in the league, we're going to get what we're guaranteed one of those four players um, that could potentially be a, a franchise building block. So that's the reason why, you, you know, if it was just one player, tanking doesn't make a ton of sense because the draft lottery is going to have the ping pong balls bounce a certain way. And you might not pick with the top pick when there are three, four guys that you're like, hey, these guys could be franchise-altering players or guys that are building blocks for our, for our team. I mean, lose, baby, lose, right? So you got to do something. All right. So another thing that I wanted to kind of touch on today um, is, as I've looked through the draft, wanted to see some of the emerging trends. And, you know, when you go and you put your draft rankings together, you start seeing the little pieces and the different things. One of the things I think is really fascinating about this particular draft is the number of Size with skill. It is the premium. It is what every NHL team wants. And I know we can get too fixated on size. And I think in single kind of situations, you say, okay, well, Cole Caulfield scores at a, you know, uh, he scored 72, 72 goals in his draft year, still went, you know, outside of the top 15. And there's all these questions. Can he play it as size? Well, he's proving he can play it as size. You know, guy, Johnny Gaudreau, different players like that. But I think teams still very much are actively pursuing size. They want to get bigger. They want to get stronger. They need, you know, they need to be tough to play against, which is not, you know, it is an important thing, especially in the postseason. You say, okay, well, you look at some of the teams that, you know, Tampa Bay was skilled, but they were heavy too. They had, you know, big decor, guys that could play uh, heavy minutes, um, guys that would grind you down. You know, they had to kind of get harder. Uh, with guys like Patrick Maroon and Barkley Goudreau and Blake Coleman, you know, that play that more tenacious style. And Maroon and, and you know, Goudreau have, you know, the size to go along with it. And, you know, they were able to play harder. Teams are looking for that. But the, the most important thing is to stay skilled and fast. So you stay skilled and fast. So if you can stay skilled, fast, and get big, that's when you start getting pretty excited about this draft class because there are a lot of players that fit into the bigger, more skilled player, more complete. They've got a bit of a two-way game, and it starts with Fantilli, about six foot two, closing in on two hundred pounds. You know, he's probably the guy that has all those tools, checks all those boxes, and he's got the speed on top of it because he plays fast. He can separate. He can close. He can do all these different things. But this draft class has more than that because you got Fantilli. You look at the college ranks, you got Matthew Wood and Charlie Stramel. Got a question about them. We'll get into them a little bit more uh, later. Charlie Stramel is one of the biggest guys in the class, six foot three, about 215, 220. You know, he's, he is a very difficult man to move off the puck. Same with Matthew Wood. And he also gets himself into really good positions and, and puts himself, uh, you know, at the net front and scores goals that way. He's playing for UConn currently. 
Leo Carlson, who I mentioned, a guy that's crept into the kind of like, hey, it's not just a top three. We might have a top four here. He's scoring very much. Uh, he's scoring very well at the SHL level this year. He's playing professionally. He's shown the ability to play with some pace. He's shown some uh, some snarl to his game. And then he's got the hands to finish, and he gets to the interior very well. The game is still won between the faceoff dots. You're not going to get a lot from the perimeter anymore. You need to get inside. These are the types of players that get inside, and that's why you're going to see them higher on more and more draft rankings because it's not just about being a guy that can go east-west and dangle and make passes and make plays. You still need players like this as well. And so at a premium, some of these guys are going to get drafted higher than maybe you would say is acceptable. I think Stramel in particular is one of those guys where you know, the production hasn't been there at Wisconsin this season, but he's big, he's fast, he's got tools. You know, we need something like that. And maybe you don't get first-round production, but you get a big player that, that can make, make something happen. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to watch as well. Casper Haltunen, Daniel Boot, another guy, uh, uh, Callum Ritchie. I mean, there are guys that have good size, good skill, good hands, you know, that can make plays. And if you have that, you're going to be really happy. And I think a lot of NHL GMs are looking at this draft, kind of licking their chops a little bit because they said, we might not get this guy, but we can get this guy. We might not be able to get that. You know, he might not be there, but this kind of guy that's very similar is there. That's a great problem to have. It, it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts guys like Braden Yeager, um, who's, you know, he's he's not small. He's he's pretty much, you know, a little average to maybe slightly above. And, you know, but guys like Zach Benson, Will Smith, who probably needs to bulk up a bit more, um, you know, guys like that that are that are kind of on the cusp. We could see some of these these bigger forwards kind of go higher in the draft. And it's created another interesting dynamic because we've talked about this before. Not a ton of defensemen in this draft. In fact, Central Scouting released their 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 uh, preliminary watch list last week where they give out letter grades and they give out the different things that, um, you know, the, the A, B, and C. If you're an A-rated player, you've got a chance to go in the first round. They only gave out 28 A's. There's 32 picks in the first round, 28 A's. Only three of those 28 players were defensemen. Two were goaltenders. So that just goes to show you how big of a, a forward draft this is looking to be so far. And the fact there was only three defensemen and just one, one more than the goalies is crazy to me. Three guys that got A ratings are Cam Allen, Mikhail Guliaev, and Axel Sandin Pelika, a Swedish defenseman who will be playing at that under 18 Five Nations I'm going to next week. You know, and, and there, there's, a, there's a group that didn't get A ratings, but I think are going to be in the mix. Theo Lindstein from Sweden, uh, Maxime Sturback, who plays for the Sioux Falls Stampede, um, you know, Etienne Moran, who plays in the QMJHL, Oliver Bonk, you know, guys that could potentially put themselves in the discussion. But this is not a very big class in terms of defensemen. They don't have a lot of size. You know, guys like Allen, 5'11", Gulaev, 5'11". I think Sandin Pelika is like closing in on six foot. You know, so they're they're not huge guys, but they move pucks well. They've got great mobility. I think Gulaev is probably one of the most fascinating players in this draft because he is Russian. He's under contract until I think 2025. And, but he is a, an incredible skater. He moves pucks exceptionally well. Um, you know, he's going to be a guy that's uh, on the higher end of my draft board. Um, and, and on most draft boards, I think it's just the question is, is what happens? You know, how high is a team willing to go? Because it's not like he's a six foot three defenseman with that mobility. You know, he's, he's average size, but he, he makes a lot of plays. Um, he's already gotten some some time in the KHL with Omsk. 
which is, you know, a good team typically in that league, a, a championship caliber team. So he's getting opportunities. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see with that. Uh, but yeah, defenseman, you know, another guy that I didn't mention, Andrew Strathman from the Youngstown Phantoms, same thing, kind of average size, good mobility, good offensive skill. But it's just, I think the forward class, I think it speaks a lot more to the forward class. They're so good that it's making it harder to get these defensemen to kind of elbow in. I think Cam Allen, you know, we had a question last week, when will the first defenseman go? You know, as I'm starting to build my board, I'm like, oh, I can't see him going here. I can't see him going there. You know, and then you start getting in that 15 to 20 range. And you're like, oh. Is this really where we're going to start seeing defensemen go? You never really know. Uh, so that's going to be tough. Did want to talk about the goalies. Talked a bit about it last week. Michael Hrabel, uh from the Omaha Lancers continues to be an outstanding player, continues to look like a top-tier prospect. Uh, he was one of the two goalies that got an A rating. Carson Bjarnason from the uh, Brandon Wheat Kings also got an A rating last week. Um, so he's in the mix. And then the two NTDP goalies got B ratings, uh, Trey Augustine and Carson Muster. I think Augustine is the... Uh, definitely the separated himself from the pack in terms of the American goaltenders. Um, he has a chance to even make the world junior team. I think he's going to you know, at least be in the mix for that. Uh, you also have Jacob Fowler from Youngstown, who I think he's, he's a C-rated prospect by Central, but I think he's one of those guys, could see him go in the mid-ranges, uh, watch him play a couple of really strong games, even, even in losing efforts. Uh, Youngstown having a hard time racking up the wins, but Fowler is an interesting player there. And then Scott Ratzlaff from Seattle also got a B rating. Uh, from Central. So I think this year's goalie class better than last year's. I like, I think there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, good players with the size that NHL teams are looking for. So we'll keep an eye on those guys. Uh, but yeah, a lot to, a lot to think about with this draft class. And as I built my list, you know, I've been out in the rinks, watched a lot of video um, and, and just seeing this class, you know, I think that for me personally, this has been a much more fun experience. The beginning of the season has been a much more fun experience than last year's. Wouldn't have been hard to do because we still were dealing with, you know, Canada not playing in the, the Lincoln Gretzky and all these different things that, that were going on where we didn't have the, the process in place to get all of the, the, the viewings that we needed by this point. So I always like to wait until late October, early November before I put out my first draft ranking of a season. I just don't think preseason draft rankings give you enough. You can't just go off of the Holinka Gretzky Cup, which I've learned many times, is that you know you have players that look exceptional one minute, and then you're just you're not sure about them later. Uh, so you do have to have some patience. But you know we've gotten a lot of players have played upwards of ten to twelve to thirteen games, and we've got a, cha a chance to see them and get a little feel for where they're heading. And so this is just the baseline. That's the other thing that's really important when you read the draft rankings on Thursday or whenever you get to them, again, no paywall, uh, you will, you know, you'll see kind of the, the baseline of my thinking at this point. It's going to change. The, the preseason or the early season draft rankings never end up the same way at the end. So it's just a baseline. We'll see where it goes. I also took a couple of guys that, you know, I don't necessarily know are going to go in the first round uh, or wouldn't necessarily, but they're guys that I think have the potential to improve over the course of the season, to put themselves in the discussion. That's the other thing that we're trying to project at this early stage. Who's going to be there soon, sooner than later? And then we'll, we'll readjust at midseason after the World Juniors and then again at the end of the season. So uh, definitely check it out. Really excited to have my first draft rankings on Flow Hockey. Now it's time to get to some question and answers. Um, got a lot of draft-related questions, which we're going we're gonna to get to first, and then we'll go to our questions about... Um, college hockey and other things of that nature uh, pretty soon here. So 
Anyway, we're going to start this one off, and this one comes from rbales82. And he asks, how much more does Fantilli have to do to become the consensus number two? I think there are very few GMs who would pick Mitchkov who may very well only benefit their successor, correct? That's yeah, a, it's a good point, Ryan. I mean, the, 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 uh, what, what, the, what we're seeing there uh, with that team or with those teams at the top, you know, I think a lot of them are teams that kind of need the help sooner rather than later. Um, I don't think that Fantilli has to do much more than he's doing right now. Um, I think that he is basically edged himself ahead of Mitchkov because of all of the baggage. Like, I, I'll tell you one thing. I think Matt Faye Mitchkov has the best hockey sense in this draft. I think he's got some, I think he's a genius level executor uh, at, at doing all of the little things that allow him to score. He does everything exceptionally well. The difference between Fantilli, Bedard, and Mitchkov is Fantilli is bigger, stronger, faster. I don't think he thinks the game at the same level, but he's also very skilled. He is a goal scorer. He is a he knows when to pass, when to shoot. He's a shot pass threat. He is a guy that gets to the interior. He's a guy that can drive past defenders, create separation with his feet. In a lot of years, that sounds like a number one pick. In a lot of years, it's kind of like the same thing. Jack Eichel looked like a number one caliber pick at Boston University. He happened to be in the same draft class as Connor McDavid. And the gap was even further than we knew at the time. Um, but that's what we're looking at. And so I think Adam Fantilli is, is, is probably very close to, if not, growing in the consensus as the number two guy. Mainly because of all the different things with Mitchkov. And as you mentioned, you might be just picking this guy for your successor. You never get to enjoy him because he's not going to be able to show up until 2026, 27. So it's a long wait. It's a long wait. The next question is right on the Fantilli train, and this one takes it even a step further, and I love it. At A Corporals asks, what would Fantilli have to do to be the number one pick? He can't do much more. Like I just said, he can't do much more because it, in a lot of years, I think he would be the number one pick. He checks every single box that teams are looking for with the size, the speed, the skill, the scoring, the tenacity, the physicality, I'm running out of breath coming up with all of these different things. But I do think that Bedard is a little bit of a, of a higher end finisher, a, a lot bit. You know, his shot, is, he's one of the best goal scorers I've seen. I think that that pure goal scoring ability is, is such a rare talent. And, Mit, and, and Fantilli can score. Like, don't get me wrong. He's, he's scoring a goal per game in college hockey right now. Um, he can score. But Bedard is on a different plane when it comes to goal scoring the thing that i think adam fantilli is going to have to do we fully expect that he's going to make the world junior team this year for canada it's going to put him side by side with Connor bedard they play on the same line at times at the under 18 world championship and you could see the separation fantilli was the bigger stronger faster player but bedard was the ones doing most of the scoring and making the best puck decisions and and doing things that drove his team to win more so I think it's going to be very difficult for Adam Fantilli to overtake Bedard, but I do think he's going to continue to narrow the gap. Um, Bedard can't do a ton more than he's done already. I, and if he does, then it's just, he's a freak, but he's already doing something at an elite level. That's just, it's harder to imagine him doing it any better than he's already doing it. 
Same thing with Fantilli at this point. Now, if Adam Fantilli is able to throw Michigan on his back, lead him to a national championship, you know, basically dominate it in those key moments of the season. Because the other thing that's important to note, Michigan has not had the strongest schedule yet. They just had a season split or a season uh, sweep of Western Michigan. Very good hockey team. Uh, but they haven't even gotten in the teeth of their of their um, conference schedule yet. And so things are going to get tougher when they play teams like Notre Dame, then they play teams like Ohio State, who's been very good this year, Minnesota. You know, there are going to be some challenges. And so we have to watch in how Adam Fantilli does that and, and handles those, that adversity. But I think that the real thing that's really impressive to me about Fantilli is he's already shown that he can throw the team on his back when they need him to. Um, he can drive play. He can do all the things. He can take pucks to the net. He can create a lot of havoc. If he can continue to do that and does that at the highest level, and you know, let's say he wins a gold medal with Canada at the World Juniors, let's say he, you know, wins uh, the national championship with with Michigan, and the team success follows the individual success, it gets harder and harder to overlook. And there's not a lot that Adam Fantilli can do more to put those teams in positions to win. But if he plays a significant role in that kind of process, that's going to speak to a lot of NHL teams, and it puts him at least in the conversation with Bedard. But I'm not ready to go there yet. All right, our next question comes from at Insider J Money. On the NCAA side, we know Adam Fantilli has been absolutely dominating. But where do you see players like Matthew Wood, who also has a great start, who's also had a great start, and Charlie Stramel, who has not had the points like Wood, let alone Fantilli, going in the draft? Really interesting question and an important one because we do have three, or actually four. Um, draft eligible players that are in college hockey this season. I will say all four are in my first round um, at this point. So it's early yet. And I would say, let's start with Charlie Stramel, because as you mentioned, the points have not been there. Wisconsin has been very bad this season as well. They did have a great sweep against Minnesota Duluth, but unfortunately for them, they followed that right up with, you know, getting skunked um, in uh, by Penn State, and that was uh, not great for their for their whole uh, <laughs> their whole their their whole outlook for this season. Now they can turn it around, and it's going to be on guys like Stramel, young players, to help them do it. But the thing I'd say about Charlie Stramel is I've got a body of work on him um, going back two years from his U seventeen season, his U eighteen season. It's the benefit that some of these guys that that are late birth dates in the 05 birth year um, have in this draft. You know, he is a month shy of being draft eligible in the last draft. He only has two points through eight games this season. Um, he had a uh, surgery last year, came back. It took him a while to readjust. He never really flat out dominated. He did end up getting 22 points in 26 games with the U18 team last season. Um, you know, had five points at the world under 18s. Did make the world junior roster. Um, last year, only appeared in one game at that tournament, had an assist there. But you look at the track record, and I think that, you know, the thing that does concern me about Stramel is that I don't think he's necessarily played at his top gear yet. I don't think I've seen him play at the, at the most exceptional level that he can get to. Um, that said, when I've seen him at his best, I, if you would have asked me this question a year ago, I would have said he was a top five projected pick for this class. I can't say that now because the lack of production does scare me. I think I have some concerns about overall hockey sense and play driving ability, but he is 
a physical specimen for one. He skates well. He has a great shot. He has all of the tools. And I don't think that while he's not skilled like Fantilli or some of the other guys that'll be smaller than him, he does get pucks protected very well. He makes plays. I like the player a lot. I think he is going to need to see more improvement. I think right now he's looking like he's probably slipping outside of the lottery range, you know, outside of that top 16, um, closer into the 20s and, and is creeping backwards. But it's hard for me knowing the whole body of work and the ceiling that I think Stramel has to believe that he's not going to get it figured out. Um, this is a guy that, that is built like a linebacker and skates really well. We, I always talk about how I, I would have loved to have seen what J.J. Watt did if he stuck with hockey because uh, he can still skate now. And you see that six foot six guy and just a monster on skates. Stramel's not quite that big, but that's the kind of feel that I get from him. He's like J.J. Watt on hockey skates. And uh, I, I really hope that, uh, you know, he kind of finds that way because I like the player a lot. Um, and I think he's going to have a really good season. Matthew Wood, however, is probably trending towards, you know, he's hovering around the top 10 right now. He's a guy that has, has scored well at UConn. He's, he's putting up goals. He's scoring on the power play. He's got a good one-timer. Uh, the thing I like about Matthew Wood is he is big, but he is also very uh, deceptive in his movement. He is uh, has a great sense of time and space, the way that good goal scorers do. He can pop into a little little soft ice area and get a good shot off. He can drive the net. He can do all those things. The skating needs to improve a little bit for me personally. I think that it's it's fine, but it's I would like to see him get a little bit of a step in his skating, get a little bit more lower body strength, a little more push, a little more explosiveness. But he's got the offensive instincts. He's got the shot. And he's shown you know, now at the BCHL level last year when he had um, the second highest uh, draft minus one scoring season in the last 25 years uh, next to Kent Johnson. That's That speaks a lot to me. And then also just what he's doing at UConn as the youngest player in college hockey, accelerated his schooling to get to school early and it has not looked like he's a less than true freshman. You know, he's basically should be a senior in high school right now. Um, yet he is not getting pushed around. And that speaks a lot to me, especially in, in a tough hockey East where UConn is off to the best start they've ever had as a fran- as, as a, as a program at the division one level. So he is a major driver of that success. And that speaks a lot to me. So, yeah, so I think that both those guys, you know, they're, they're top 20 picks for me still, I think, um, you know, with, with Wood trending towards that top 10. Uh, last uh, specific to this NHL draft question comes from our old pal at Tortilla Big. Asked plenty of questions here. Can you tell me a bit about Edward Saleh from the Czech Republic? Do you see him as a top 10 pick? Well, I don't want to give away the rankings so much, uh, but I do think that he is in that discussion for sure. Um, he is, you know, every time I've watched Soleil play, I see a guy that is just a very mature, decisive hockey player. He's competitive. He wins battles. He has tremendous vision. He's the kind of guy you want to have on your line. Um, he's a, he's a dual shot pass threat. He can score, but he is a very good distributor. I think he's probably a better passer than he is a shooter at this point, but he has a great shot. Um, you know, he's playing in, uh, in the Czech pro league right now. And, and doing well, you know, he's on pace for a very strong season. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's impressive. 
We'll get a chance to see him internationally at various events like the World Juniors, you know, a chance to better assess him. But, you know, he's got good size. As he gets stronger, he's going to get better, um, especially with the, that tenacity that he plays with. And then, you know, I just think, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy you can probably have um, with a, a center or a wing. You know, we'll kind of wait and see where he goes, but really tremendous talent and, and very excited to see Edward Saleh, uh, as I do believe he is right on the cusp of that uh, – that that basically being a, a top ten uh, caliber prospect, uh, you know, I think you'll probably see him in that range uh, without giving too much away. But the draft rankings coming up. All right, we got some other questions as well. Wanted to get to those, so we're moving away from the 2023 draft and now into some questions from our good friends throughout the internet. And at DRW Talk asks, who is the best player in college hockey, and why is it Carter Mazur? So Carter Mazur is having a really good season and he was a player that I put as kind of a dark horse candidate for the Hobie Baker this year. So this is not a surprise to me, uh, but he has 10 goals in the month of October for the University of Denver. He has been everything they need him to be. Uh, he has been even more than that. You know, he stepped up. You think about the guys that DU lost last season, um, you know, Carter Savoy, Bobby Brink, um, just uh, Cameron Wright. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of their top scoring talent that went on. Um, Cole Gutman. I mean, just keep going. We're going to keep going. Uh, but, you know, basically, Mazur has had to step up into this. And both he and Massimo Rizzo, who is a Carolina Hurricanes prospect, are among the top scorers in the country right now because they are being the drivers of that, that Pioneers team. Carter Mazur's taken several steps. Now, I ranked him in his draft season in the 50s, I think, uh, from back when I did the, the Hockey Sense substack. And really liked the player. He was second-year eligible. You know, there are all these different things that were kind of holding him back before, and then all of a sudden he just explodes offensively. The thing that makes Carter Mazur an important prospect for Dallas, or for Detroit, rather, is that he's he plays with grit, determination, work ethic, pace. He's got all those different things. He, he also has that scoring ability. And we saw at the World Junior Championship, when he's surrounded by top-tier draft prospects, he was their best player at various points of that tournament. For most of that tournament, he was their most consistent scorer. And this is a player that has continually stacked skills, stacked more ability, and he's never lost that work ethic. So this is probably going to be his last collegiate season. I imagine he's going to sign uh, after this year because he has taken such a step. But 10 goals at this stage of the season is really remarkable, and he's only getting better. So I think that the, the, the Red Wings have found a mid-round gem in Carter Mazur. They were right to snap him up, I think, earlier than a lot of people expected him to go, and he is only continuing to get better. So another good pick for the Red Wings. Shocker there. At Steven39, another frequent uh, commenter. We love that we get a lot of Coyotes fans in here, but at Steven39 asks, any early comments on Logan Cooley this far in the NCAA season. I think uh, what we've found with Logan Cooley is it hasn't necessarily been the start that he wanted, but I think we're seeing the flashes of what he'll be towards the end of the season. The one thing that I think Cooley has found in college hockey, as many players do, a lot of the things that you were able to do Against junior opponents, you're not as easily able to do against colleges. He probably learned that a bit last year at the under-18 team because they played NCAA teams. But, you know, looking at Cooley's season to date, um, 
you know, he's had some really strong games and he's had some games where he hasn't been as visible. And I think when you're a top tier prospect in college hockey, those that the, the games in that second category should be very small. Um, I'm not personally worried about Cooley in terms of his development, in terms of where he's headed. I think that he's one of the elite prospects from the last draft. I had him draft, you know, number one, he was my number one. And I say that, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't necessarily underwhelmed me because he has seven points in eight games. It's just that I've, I've seen some of the habits in his game that I think he'll need to clean up a little bit more before he gets to the NHL. Um, and if it does take him an extra year, maybe you send him back to college for another year. That second year did wonders for guys like Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes and others. You know, maybe that's where he needs to be next year. Um, we'll see what the Coyotes feel too, because are they going to be at a position where they can accept a player next season? that's kind of ready to make that jump because you don't want to have them be developing in the NHL. You want to have them ready to make an impact. And that's what I think a lot of teams are pushing on their prospects and players are beginning to understand better is that you want to arrive ready to make an impact, not just to survive. Um, And I think Logan Cooley is at this point, he's making an impact at the collegiate level. The next step for him is becoming a consistent dominant scoring presence for his team. It may take a little bit longer to get there. I think he's doing just fine. I have no concerns about where he's at or what his development looks like at this point. All right, next question comes from at Jenny M. Go Blue and a little little commentary on Michigan hockey. And to think some of us were concerned about at UMich hockey scoring's production this year. Adam and all the freshmen are far exceeding expectations. Chris, any thoughts about the high number of goals of both teams in general across Division I? Seems like a growing trend in my humble opinion. Yeah, there have been a lot of goals, a lot of blowout games in the NCAA this year. Michigan is actually the highest scoring team in the country to date. As I mentioned, you know, hasn't played necessarily the strongest schedule, but they are getting major contributions from their freshmen, which is something that's usually not always the case. And I think to your first point about being concerned about scoring for Michigan, when you lose Maddie Beneers, Brendan Bassan, Thomas Bordalo, Kent Johnson, Owen Power, the list goes, and Nick Blankenberg. That's a lot of scoring to replace. And here it seems that they have done that under interim head coach Brandon Arado. And, uh, you know, to me, we've got our power rankings coming out next week or in Wednesday. You can read our power rankings every single Wednesday on Flow Hockey uh, for the NCAA men's power rankings. Do a top 16 every week. I mean, Michigan has a great case to be number one. But to get to the thought of the the increased scoring, yes, I do think there's, there's absolutely um, – you know, a trend. I don't have the average numbers in front of me, but I also think it's October. Uh, October tends to be the sloppy month. October is the feel it out process month for uh, college hockey. If you look at the rankings and other things like that in October and expect them to be the same in April or May or April, we don't go that far in college hockey in April, you know, you're usually not going to see that. So uh, the Ivy league teams just started playing, you know, Harvard, you had their first big weekend. Uh, you know, the, the other teams, uh, the Cornells and all, they're all kind of underway as well. Um, but, you know, it, it's really difficult to uh, kind of pinpoint where it's at. But I think more of it has to do with October being kind of that month where everybody's just still trying to figure things out. And if you have if you're a team with skill like Michigan, that benefits you greatly, because if you get into your flow early, it is really difficult to slow you down. And that seems to be the process right now. Michigan has got that chemistry going. Luke Hughes got going last weekend. Some big goals from him. Uh, Adam Fantilli, we've talked about a lot already, you know, really driving the bus for that team. So really impressive stuff out of that group. But 
Um, I don't think there's really any uh, reason for it aside from, you know, I just think that college hockey as a product is continually getting better and more skilled and the players are getting better. And we've got a lot of great goalies across the country, but there are also a lot that, you know, aren't so good. So that, that also contributes to it. Uh, but yeah, I think the NCAA is definitely uh, moving in a positive direction there. All right. Our next one comes from at Joe Betker. Where can I find some lists of the best NHL prospects that have been drafted and signed already? All right. Well, Joe, uh, you will be able to find those at Flow Hockey in the near future. We will continue to go with farm rankings and drafted prospects and things of that nature. So you will be able to get it right there on Flow Hockey. We're not there yet because I've had to focus on the 2023 draft, but as we get past the World Juniors and things like that, I will be doing a midseason NHL drafted and affiliated prospect rankings. So you will be able to see that on Flow Hockey. Other great resources, though. I'm not never afraid to throw out some love to the competition because I think that the prospect space has grown to such a degree that you know there's there's room for all of us for one, and it's also you as the reader have to decide kind of where you lay the you know the credibility and different things. Like you know, I've been doing this for ten years. I know you know I will have my friend Corey Promen on at some point on this podcast. He's done it for, you know, that long or, or longer, you know, and then you've got other new outlets and, and you also have a lot of young people in the prospect space that are still learning and getting their feet wet. And we're all going to make mistakes. Not a single one of us in the public sphere is ever going to get everything right. And you just have to go with who you think um, kind of aligns with the way you see the game and different things like that. I try to be a bit of a hybrid of kind of the new school, looking at numbers and things of that nature but really still a lot of emphasis on the eye test and just kind of what I know about development curves and um, aging curves and all these different things that we try to, to put in there. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, getting those live viewings is still really important. So some of the ones that you can absolutely check out, you know, the athletic, you got both Corey Promet and Scott Wheeler. They both do uh, affiliated prospect rankings. Um, I believe future considerations is getting into the affiliated prospects as well. Um, Dauber hockey, you get some of that, uh, elite prospects, epringside.com. Um, those are other places to find, uh, that kind of stuff. And there's a bunch of independent sites as well, where you can find that information, but those are just a few of the, the more easily accessible ones. Um, but again, on flow hockey very soon, we will have those kinds of rankings as well. I personally love doing those a lot. Um, you tend to be a little bit more accurate with those because you get more time to evaluate these players. Uh, but it does make it so that you have to watch and know about, you know, thousands, literally thousands of players um, when you do this job. You try to focus in on those, you know, those those 100 or so in the draft that you can really nail down. And that you, you have to be aware of the entire class. But, you know, you basically start drilling it down. And then you also have to look at the guys that are, you know, in the AHL, Canadian Hockey League, college hockey. I mean, they're all over the map. It is a very challenging job. We all do the best that we can to uh, track it for you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you just got to work smart and work hard to, to get it all. So there are a lot of great people that do this work out there and definitely support them because uh, it is not easy or cheap to do. A lot of us have to do a lot of travel, a lot of different things that, uh, you know, we were, we're away from families and different things like that. But um, yeah, definitely support all of the prospect content that is out there. All right. Uh, next one comes from my, uh, we're going we're gonna to end on a silly one. We haven't done this in a while where I ended on a silly one, but it comes from my pal at Trader D, Dan Trader. How you doing, buddy? He asked me, would you eat the moon 
if it were made of short ribs. And I probably should have read that in Harry Carey voice because that, of course, comes from the Will Ferrell impression of Harry Carey. So I guess I could do the impression of Will Ferrell. Uh, Would you eat the moon? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, But I'm not going to do that. My friends know that I have a killer Harry Carey impression anyway. Uh, So uh, I don't know if Dan knows this about me, though. But anyway, to answer your question, yes, of course. I mean, who would ever turn down free short ribs? So that's the answer to that question. What a what a stupid way to end the podcast. Thanks, Dan. But anyway, we're not going to completely end it on that note, though we are going to get going here in just a second. But, uh, you know, a couple of things coming up that I want you to be aware of on Flow Hockey. Um, we've got our power rankings for all leagues that we cover. Uh, CCHA, Atlantic Hockey, ECHL, USHL, and I also do the National NCAA Power Rankings to give you a bit of a different spin. You can go on the rankings tab. If you go to flowhockey.tv, all the way to the right, you're going to see the rankings tab. Click on that. You'll get all of those rankings. You get to see the work from our writers, Jordan McAlpine, Mike Ashmore, uh, Tim Rapoli, Jacob Messing. Um, you know, we've, we've had so many people uh, that, that have uh, come through the site. It's growing. We're really excited about that. Definitely want you to check out all the things we got coming up. As I mentioned before, big feature on Macklin Celebrini. It's a video feature. Uh, you'll get to know one of the best young players at the 2006 birth year right before he's about to embark on this incredible tournament, the Under-17 World Hockey Challenge. Definitely watch that because you are going to want to get to know Max Celebrini. Know that name. He is a star in the making, and it was a lot of fun to put together. So definitely stay tuned for that. And, of course, on Thursday, November 3rd, you will be able to get my first draft rankings for the season. Again, no paywall. You'll be able to access my top 32 and on next week's podcast we will do a complete rundown of the top 32 i'll take your questions i will go in depth i will continue to explain things on the podcast about this draft class but now you'll have a chance to have a little bit of a companion so i highly recommend you read those rankings before you watch or listen to this podcast next weekend or next week rather because uh we'll have a lot to talk about and it'll be pretty much all about those rankings. Uh, And then I will head out to Plymouth, Michigan for the under 18 five nations, where we'll have a lot of content from there as well. uh, Talking about a lot of the top draft prospects eligible. Uh, You got the U S team like Will Smith, uh, Ryan Leonard, Oliver Moore, Gabe Perot. Uh, You got some really good players, Otto Stenberg from Sweden, uh, Axel uh, uh, Sandin Pelika uh, coming in, uh, Emil Yarventi from Finland. I mean, there are a lot of really good young players coming to play in that under 18 world champion or under 18 five nations out in Plymouth. So can't wait to bring you more about that, but we've rambled on long enough, promoted the heck out of everything. One last one. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you're downloading every episode, share it with your friends, leave us a kind rating and review. We may read on the podcast as we did earlier. Um, not great with self flattery, but I will continue to read them. If you guys keep leaving them, because that is how we get this podcast to grow. I appreciate all the help, all the support. My thanks to Colt Joyce for producing this episode. My thanks to everybody that asked questions. And thanks to you for listening, subscribing, watching, however you're following this podcast. Can't thank you enough. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time. 